Hi, welcome back to the How To Eat Alone podcast with me, Julia Georgialis. I'm a baker and I write about food. This podcast discusses issues surrounding loneliness, solitude and solo dining. In it, I talk to different people about various aspects of being alone. Every episode comes with a recipe based on a meal that we've discussed during the show. And each of these recipes are designed to be cooked by one person and one person only because most recipes are written for two or more people, which is a bit annoying for the solo cook. The idea is that you can cook along whilst you listen to this podcast if you do find yourself alone. Think of this podcast as your dining buddy. I often find when I'm at my loneliest that it can be difficult to motivate myself to do things. You know, I I tell myself, oh, I'll do that thing that I want to do when I have someone to do it with. I've gone months, perhaps years even, of waiting for the right person or people to come along so that I can visit that city or go to that restaurant. Honestly, it's never served me well. I think it's drummed into us, particularly women from a young age, that everything is better when we have a partner. And this idea that everything is better in a pair shouldn't stop us from doing the things we want to do. I wasn't very brave (laughs) when I was very young. I did a couple of things alone in my early 20s. I I left home and I did travel alone a little bit, perhaps two or three weeks, but I didn't really like it. I felt really lonely. And then at 27, something changed and, and I took a risk and I kind of pushed the ejector button on my life and traveled for eight months by myself. At 27, I stopped denying myself the joy of saying yes to doing things because I didn't have anyone to do them with. And that then applied to so many other things, not just to traveling. I did so many more things by myself that I thought that I couldn't or wouldn't ever do alone. But you know what? After having said that, And after all the things that I've done alone, particularly when I'm feeling a bit wobbly or or lacking in confidence, I still sometimes find it hard to push myself to do the thing I want to do on my own. Because that thought that this would be better with someone else prevails. Sometimes, yes, it's lovely to share things and to do things with other people. But from experience, very often, no, it's not better. It's different. My next guest, Rachel Bell, knows all about this. Rachel is a journalist. She's a reporter at Radio Kiro in Seattle, USA. She's written for Lucky Peach and Eater. And she hosts the brilliant podcast, Your Last Meal, which I'm a massive, massive fan of. We met a couple of years ago when she interviewed me about a cookbook that I wrote. And she reached out to me about her experience of eating alone a couple of months back. Rachel seems to have no fear She's strong and courageous and she's full of joy and encouragement. She became single over the pandemic and it has been a recent mission of hers to learn how to build a fire from scratch by herself. Now, let's face it, how many people, let alone women, do you know who can do that? Because I don't know many. But here's the thing, it's not just about the fire. It's about so much more than that, as Rachel tells me during our chat. I have to say, I've been listening to your podcast uh, on, you know, back to back over the last couple of days. I really, I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm so glad. Thanks for listening. I just am such a culinary voyeur. I just like to know what everybody's eating. I have this friend where every day we message each other. What'd you have for dinner? 
what you have for breakfast. I just like to know. Nice. Yes. And I've been um, listening to yours too. And I also like it. It's great. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Well, it's a tiny baby podcast at the moment. Got some plans to just keep on going with it. But um, actually, I've been thinking about while I've been listening to your podcast is that I do think that the question, what would your last meal be? And what do you eat when you're alone? Is like somehow quite similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, because I think both of them are just a catalyst for a larger conversation, kind of just using a gimmicky question in a way. Exactly. And you're not really asking that question. You're asking something else kind of reveal stuff when, when you ask that question. Yeah, it's both um, brings out vulnerable sometimes and personal stories. It's like I think food food does that very infrequently, but it's happened. People have misunderstood the question and they think that I'm asking them the thing that they just ate, like literally their last meal. And they're like, oh, I had a banana. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not really quite as interesting. No, no. You're on your deathbed. Yes. <laughs> what are you going to request? Let's go dark, please. Because <laughs> this woman no, recently said a protein shake. And I was like, really? That would be. And I had to like oh do a, I had to do a do over because I was like, that's really sad that that would be your choice. <laughs> You'd have to pay me a lot of money to eat a protein shake when I'm I'm very far away from my last meal. I I know, same. It's not not a meal, people. It's not a meal. It's not. You don't Um, drink a meal. No, absolutely not. I mean, probably a good kind of first question would be, do you spend a lot of time alone? Yeah, so I um, ended a relationship partway through the pandemic. So I spent half of it partnered and then half of it not. Uh, And I felt kind of bad because I had a couple single friends who would um, talk about being lonely during the lockdown. And I found myself saying really just insensitive things that I didn't realize was insensitive until I was single. I would say things, maddening things like, why don't you do a craft? Like nobody wants to hear that. (laughs) Um, No, no, it's terrible. So sorry to everyone that I told to do a craft (laughs) when they were expressing their vulnerability to me. Yeah, I I think that I'm quite social, but I also really need time alone. And in my 20s and before that, I would have said that I was a 100% extrovert and I wanted to be around people all the time. And I am not anymore. The older I get, I'm 42 now, I really need time alone. So I try to purposely balance and have time alone. I'd say it was maybe I'm a 70% introvert now. I find myself getting kind of cranky if I don't have enough time to myself. And there are certain things that I prefer to do by myself. And I have, I, I kind of didn't realize this till recently. I have traveled alone for a while. When I was 29, I moved to Japan for a year by myself and taught English. And then four or five years ago, I did my first I guess it felt like my first vacation alone. I did part of the Camino de Santiago and then went over to Portugal and did like a surfing camp. But I think for me, like when I do a trip by myself, I feel like I need a lot of activities because I'm trying to make sure that I'm occupied so that I don't feel lonely. Yeah, I think that it's like we do kind of always try and occupy ourselves because that's just what we've become now. We need constant entertainment, I suppose. So yeah. Don't think you're alone in that. Try to occupy it with healthier things. Like, so for example, you know, doing the Camino to San Diego, I was walking. So like, as opposed <laughs> to, to me, like a nightmare alone trip would be going to a beach. Like, I feel I would be so bored just laying on a beach by myself. I mean, the Camino is like 
I, I've never done it. It's actually one of the things I'd love to do. It seems like one of those things that a lot of people do do on their own, right? Yeah. And a lot of retired people, because, you know, it's interesting. It, if you do the whole thing, it takes months. And so it's not something you would expect older people to do, but they're the ones who have the time. Uh, and I learned the hard way that, you know, there's these little kind of hostels that you can stay in that all of the quote pilgrims are staying at and they're really cheap. And I gave that up after a few days because there are a lot of old European men in their tidy whities and oh. their white tank tops who they snore. Oh, the cacophony of snoring. I couldn't take oh. it anymore. Have you got any more solo trips planned for yourself? So last year was the first year that I started camping solo and I loved it. I'm planning another solo camping trip for May because here in Washington state in the U.S., wildflower season starts on the eastern side of the state. And that's my thing. I love wildflowers. And I try to plan my hikes and my camping to go to certain places when they're blooming. And so the first camping trip that I did solo last year was around a wildflower bloom so I could go hiking every day. And I loved it so much that I decided that that's going to be my tradition that Every year in this kind of particular weekend, I want to do a solo camping trip. That's beautiful. And always, I mean, I guess it's like celebrating the coming of the spring. That's a lovely thing to do by yourself. And and when you say camping trip, what do you mean? Do you, I mean, are you are you like wild camping? Are you in a caravan? Like what's the setup? So I stayed in a campground the both of the two times that I did it last year because that felt safe to me, you know, as opposed to just kind of being out in the middle of nowhere. But the thing that was so interesting was that every female friend that I told, the first thing out of their mouth was, aren't you afraid you're going to get murdered? No, I'd never crossed my mind. I'm just not afraid like that. I don't like when other people project their fears onto you. Why are you going to use the word murdered when I'm going on vacation? (laughs) It actually made me want to do it even more because I was like, I am strong. I'm not afraid. Like it really kind of pushed me forward. And one of the things that coincided with me feeling really good about camping myself was that um, I had kind of recently, like six months before, made a very conscious effort to learn how to build a fire because it always just been around someone who could do it. A couple years ago, I went on a camping trip and we could not light the fire. It was so frustrating. And, you know, you're trying to cook on it that we didn't have a camp stove. And so it was like kind of a make it or break it that when I got home from that trip, I said, that is it. I'm going to learn how to properly build a campfire so I can always know how to do it. Um, That year, my ex-boyfriend, very sweetly for Hanukkah, bought me a hatchet, which I always call an axe, but I guess it's not the real name. He got me a hatchet and like one of those long lighters. And then um, there's kind of this Girl Scout fire starter trick where you fill an empty toilet paper tube or an empty paper egg carton with dryer lint. And you can, you know, use that. So Seattle, we have a beach where you can have bonfires. And I went several times and learned how to properly chop wood and like make tiny tinder, which is really the key to making a successful fire. That's what I learned was I wasn't making enough tiny pieces and did it to the point where I knew that I could do it under any circumstance. So going out camping by myself, that was actually my secret weapon was feeling like I can do everything myself and I can light the fire. It's such a basic human thing. It is. No. Yeah. Yeah. Why and don't we all know how to do it? I can't even tell you how satisfying it is to chop wood. It is 
it's really actually hard. Like it sometimes, you know, your body kind of gets sore. But when I was going yeah. to the beach in Seattle and I was chopping wood in the parking lot, people would always comment. Like I'd get these old ladies going, you go, girl. And yeah, <laughs> but that's kind of how I feel about you. I'm like, oh, my God, that is so cool. Women are not expected to know how to make a fire. Yeah. I, I'm kind of thinking about family barbecues, right? Like, and when you do a family barbecue, you know, the women spend like hours making like all the sides and the salads and all that kind of stuff. And then the men just rock up and they build a fire and they, mm-hmm. you know, and they barbecue the meat and whatever. Women don't barbecue the meat. Why? Like, what? why I is know. that a male thing to do? I know. And then, you know, I don't know if you found yourself in the situation where you did have a barbecue with just girlfriends and everyone's like, what do we do? What you know, do we and do? I made that effort actually several years ago, too. And the secret, if you're doing it with charcoal, is just to get one of those little chimneys. That's how you can always guarantee a charcoal fire. I just wanted to be self-sufficient. And yeah, now I really feel this strong feeling of wanting to make sure that every other woman who, you know, finds themselves in that situation, like people who camp and want to make bonfires. I want everyone to know how because I don't want people to feel like they have to depend on a man to light a fire. It's a lot more than just the fire, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And I really, really prefer is. to light to cook food over a fire when I camp too. I don't have a camping stove, so I do everything over the fire, which I also find very satisfying. And there's nothing like campfire cooking. There is really nothing like it. Like yeah. The taste is amazing. Did you have any failures when you started cooking on the campfire? I actually haven't. The only fail I've had that was with a friend was because it was just, we. she wanted to make these. Do you guys have these in the UK? It's like biscuits, but biscuits for us is like the bread that comes oh, in yeah. like a can that you pop. They're kind of gross. It's like these processed. Mate, no. Okay. <laughs> she wanted, what do you mean in a can? <laughs> I know. It's really confusing. Not like a can that soup comes in, but it's like a cylinder that is made out of cardboard and you pop it open. I I mean, it sounds so ridiculous now. It's like such a gross American (laughs) thing. And she saw this recipe where you get the raw biscuit dough and you wrap it around a stick and you put cinnamon and sugar on it and then you hold it in the fire and, you know, but water had leaked into the packaging and so oh. everything was wet and so we tried to do it and then the whole thing just went like and fell into the oh, flames. Oh no. I think the classic <laughs> s'more it's not broken like let's keep on with that. Like no. you can't go wrong with a fireside s'more really. What is the best thing you made yourself to eat on a campfire? Okay so I don't know if it's the best but it was kind of an epiphany. It was so good. I realized that it's so easy to make baba ganoush when you're camping because all that you do is put a whole eggplant onto the flames and what you want is for the whole thing to turn black and so it's actually easier to make when you're camping because at home I'll put it on my gas stove and it's like dripping and I have it's so much cleanup and it's such a mess. So it's actually perfect. So I will just bring tahini lemon juice and you know a couple cloves of garlic and salt and that's it like you roast it you let it rest so it's not so hot you peel off the skin and then you can just hand mash it with a fork because it's so soft and it's so smoky tasting and just that with the like a lot of tahini crushed garlic lemon and salt so I built a Mediterranean dinner around that so I did that and then I just roasted a bunch of vegetables over the fire. I think I did asparagus mm-hmm. and, you know, different color bell peppers. And I also did like potatoes 
in a little foil packet. Wow. And then I think I brought I brought pita, I brought tzatziki, and just kind of had like a meze platter. And it was so good. And you did that for yourself? Yeah, for myself. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I feel like this at home too, living alone. Whenever people say, well, it's just me. So, you know, I don't really ever make any, I just kind of eat things that are easy. I'm like, but it's you, you deserve to eat something good. And so I like the process of cooking while camping. So I'm not trying to get it over with quickly, or I'm not just trying to feed myself because I'm hungry. I want it to be really good. And I like the cooking process. So I don't think there's anything wrong about making the effort. And then also you have leftovers. And then that's kind of easy for hiking the next day. I just bring, you know, little containers and I bring it on my hike. Amen. I I mean, that's what this whole podcast is about. And I didn't mean to say it was just for you you know I, I really oh, didn't no, 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 no. to come out like because the whole point of this podcast is that I want to encourage <laughs> people to make a fuss of themselves yeah it's just like it, I do find it quite rare that people do put the effort in you know I, I I think it's something that we're only really waking up to but having said that I mean you're on holiday as well that's the other yeah. thing like, when you're camping you're on holiday and like when you're on holiday you have time and you can cook and yes. it's, it's a nice thing to do for yourself Yeah. On that note, this is what I enjoyed about that first trip was I feel like, you know, if I had gone with a close friend or someone I was dating, we would have probably wanted to do mostly the same stuff. But there was just some extra kind of freedom about being alone. So after I did this long hike, maybe like an eight or nine mile hike, I had read that there was this little kind of burger ice cream shack. And it was a 45 minute drive one way from where I was. But they had soft serve ice cream cones that were gigantic. Like if you got the large, honestly, it was from your elbow to your wrist. That's how (laughs) tall it was. And I was like, oh my God, I need that ice cream. Like I just wanted it. (laughs) So I drove 45 minutes each direction to have an ice cream cone, which I don't know if other people would have been talked into that, but there was something about, I just felt so free. I had to kind of like hide to eat the ice cream cone because it was so big and it was melting that it looked like pornography, what I was trying to do to like catch the, I was like, nobody can see this. And so I just like walked away into this park, stared at the trees and had my way with that ice cream cone. Oh my. <laughs> Sorry, messy a little graphic. When you're, but... <laughs> there's something great about messy food when you're on your own. Yeah. I, I have a friend who, who told me once that her mum always used to say to her that the best place to eat a mango was in the bath. Oh, because, yeah. Because, and it's true because you're on your own and yes. it's really, really sticky and you can just basically go to town on it and then you're in the bath. So you wash it off. <laughs> yeah, it's so sticky. I know, of course, yeah. with this giant ice cream, they gave me one tiny, you know, see-through flimsy napkin. It was just a real yeah. joke. Yeah, I mean, but they don't mean, they, they're they just giving that to you as courtesy. It sounds like you need a whole kitchen roll with that, the exactly. size of the ice cream. But or a bathtub. Yeah, it's, yeah, maybe I'll, you know, next time I eat an ice cream, it'll be in the bathtub. That yeah. sounds kind of nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, combining yeah. two solo activities in one, just like having a lovely bath and having an yeah, ice cream. Absolutely. Absolutely. That sounds great to me. I mean, one thing I've also just been thinking about when you've been talking is about what cooking equipment do you bring for yourself when you're camping on your own because I assume that you that you need some kind of apparatus to cook all those nice things for yourself yeah a friend had gifted me a grate that I bring on my own that it's kind of like a tighter grate because you know sometimes the ones that are there they're like just they're the bars are really far apart and things will kind of fall through and they're sometimes really dirty so I bring this it folds up so it's just easy and flat to put in the car and I put that on top of the campfire. Um, So sometimes that's the only thing 
that I'll use. And then I bring, you know, just like my plate and my bowl and my silverware and knives and stuff like that. But I another thing that I like to make that's really easy and so good is campfire nachos. Ooh. So good. And if I do it with meat, I'll grill chicken that I marinated on the grate. And then just in a cast iron pan, I'll layer the chips with cheese because you have to layer them. You don't want it just on the top. And then I'll do black beans just from a can. I'll put the chicken on salsa and sour cream, scallions, green onions. That's actually fun to do with other people because you can kind of just eat out of the the pan, but you can just make yourself a smaller version and eat it all yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And this is the thing I think about cooking for yourselves. Everyone's like, oh, you know, I'm too much. It's like, well, just make less. Just bring exactly the right amount for yourself. Yeah. Like nachos and things. I do think people assume you kind of have to, you know, share it or whatever, but no, it's, you know, you can just either eat more or (laughs) or make less. (laughs) I know. And leftovers are so great. Like, I don't know. Whenever people say that too, I'm like, don't you want leftovers? I want leftovers. I mean, I always love a leftover. I think I used to be really bad at this when I first started cooking more for myself was I had too many leftovers. Like like leftovers for one day, possibly two days is fine. But leftovers for longer than that is like not cool. You have to hone that a little bit. Yeah. And some things you can freeze. But yeah, you're right. Sometimes I never want to eat something ever again because it's like, okay, day four. There's only so many ways you can re-spin it, I guess. Yeah. When you're not camping, what is the best thing you make yourself? Ooh, let's see. Well, I've noticed that when I move into a new place, which seems to be every like three, four years, I end up moving. I always christen it by making a big pan of meatballs. So I make spaghetti and meatballs. So I feel like that's something that I make for myself. And that's definitely something with leftovers. It's something I feel like I always end up making too late at night and I'm eating at 1030. And I just enjoy that. Um, I like that for some reason. That's like the thing I would say I would make that is civilized. There's the whole other category, your secret shame foods you never give to anyone else that you eat when you're alone. Like one thing that I eat when I'm alone is I like sour cream straight out of the tub and I'll just eat it with a spoon or I'll drip like Mexican hot sauce tapatio on it for some that's naughty I know (laughs) people kind of get grossed out and I'm like it's just like yogurt there's no difference but yeah that's actually yeah you're right it's just like yogurt um what do you like to make when you're alone what is your number one I do you know what no one's ever asked me that question before (laughs) (laughs) the tables are turned ah you know what it's also a spaghetti dish ah I know what it is. It's this really, really simple dish. Um, I think it's an Ottolenghi recipe, Mm. but like I kind of bastardized it over time. It's spaghetti uh, with onions. So you fry the onions so that they're like almost caramelized and a tin of anchovies. Mm. And then I add cumin, maybe some onion seed, coriander. And it is literally my favorite thing to eat on my own. It Like just an anchovy spaghetti, which I don't know if I've made that sound very appealing, but it's it so salty and filling. And I guess as well, the, the nice thing about that recipe is because I honed the exact amount for me. So it's like one tin of anchovies, half an onion and 114 grams of spaghetti. You know, so I've kind of like got really used to making this dish for myself. It sounds yeah, like a that's... classic kind of pantry pasta. Like you kind of always can have those things around. You can yeah. make it at any moment. 
That's your dish. I found myself getting kind of more into plating during the pandemic. Like I like to make these composed lunches where when I'd cut up an avocado, I would actually fan it out like Instagram style. And then I would make this perfect little kind of row of, you know, seasoning or fancy salt and have like a little rosette of smoked salmon and just kind of put all of these things. And I love eating a dish when it looks really pretty like that. And again, it's like nobody else needs to be there. It makes me feel like I'm having a special lunch because it looks so pretty. But that's what we should be doing. Like, I love that you do that. And and it's not even for the gram, right? It's for no. you. Because, you know, the other thing is that, I mean, for me over the pandemic is I got really lazy, especially, you know, halfway through that first lockdown. And I ended up like eating on my lap, you know, eating straight out the can. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Let's let's set the table. Yeah. Because if you set the table, you're gonna you're it's better for your digestion. You're gonna sit there and you're gonna eat properly and you know, you're not gonna give yourself heartburn. It's good for you, I think, to to set the table properly and, yeah. and make yourself nice food. Yeah, there's something in ritual I think that's important because that's something that humans do that maybe other animals don't do that it's like, let's just try to be human for a minute and just, you yeah. know, eat at the table and have a ritual instead of just kind of eating mindlessly. Humans obviously have so many rituals surrounding foods and eating and feasting, but where's the where's the solo person's ritual? Like there, it doesn't exist. I don't think. No, you're right. I always use a cloth napkin too. I mean, I do that for environmental oh, wow. reasons, but like I just yeah. I think it it also looks nice too. So it kind of adds to it. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you so much. I could talk to you all day. I know. I could talk to you too. It's my, it's one of my favorite topics. I think partially because I enjoy it, but partially because I, and this is probably why you do your show, you know, in some regard, I just want people to not be afraid of being alone. It doesn't mean you have to be alone all the time, but to do certain things, I think a lot of people, there's a lot of fear around it, especially for women. And I just feel this need to just say you can do it you can do it you can go camping you know it's it's kind of like the life is short thing like are you not gonna take a trip because you don't have anyone to go with I mean you're gonna regret not doing a trip and it it extends to like yeah do that solo trip on your own like but also make that nice meal for yourself because yeah life is short and the more people do it the more it gets normalized and and people can do the things that they've always wanted to do if they feel like someone else has done it too before them I think Now, I'm going to be honest, I've done my fair share of camping and fire cooking, but actually, I don't really know how to make a fire from scratch either. I always come prepared with my shop-bought fire lighters and tinder and kiln-dried wood. You know, yeah, I can make a fire with some preparation, but can I do it by myself without asking someone to help me or buying something from someone? In other words, am I self-sufficient? No. (laughs) No, I'm not. Self-sufficiency is about trusting yourself and being able to rely on yourself. When you can do that, that gives you confidence to do the things you want to do instead of just going along with someone else's ideas out of fear of ending up alone. As Rachel speaks so beautifully about how to make a fireside baba ganoush, Mediterranean veg and campfire nachos, and as you absolutely do need a campfire to cook those dishes... I'm not going to put the recipes for those up on the recipes blog because they're in the episode already and I also assume that not all people who listen to this podcast have access at all times to an open fire. (laughs) But I am going to give you a recipe for spaghetti meatballs because 
What a solo staple. I'd kind of forgotten about spaghetti and meatballs. Like Rachel, who makes these when she moves house, I've also recently just moved home and this was one of the things that I made for myself inspired by her. I ate this dish sitting on the floor of my kitchen because I hadn't built my dining room table yet. It was still flat packed in a box, but actually I think sitting on the floor made it taste better. Because Rachel is so passionate about women learning to make a fire for themselves, I've added some nice little fire building videos to the show notes. I've also added details of Rachel's work and I thoroughly recommend listening to her podcast, Your Last Meal. It is a hoot and it always makes me really hungry every time I listen to it. Thank you so much to Rachel for being my guest on this episode. All previous episodes and recipes, including this episode's recipe for spaghetti meatballs, can be found on the podcast Substack, howtoeatalone.substack.com. You can also follow this podcast on Instagram. The handle is at howtoeatalonepodcast. I hope you've enjoyed being alone with me. If you like this podcast, please consider giving it a good review wherever you get your podcast from or share it with whoever you think might also like it. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time for the next episode of How to Eat Alone.